Our text this morning is from Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. You'll find that on page 781 and 782 in your pew Bibles, as well as printed in your worship folder. It's Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. This is God's word. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, Are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master's delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him will much be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This is God's word. All my life's a circle, sunrise and sundown. The moon rolls through the nighttime till daybreak comes around. All my life's a circle, but I can't tell you why. The season's spinning round again. The years keep rolling by. These are the words of Harry Chapin in his song appropriately entitled, Circle. It's a whimsical, light sort of song. Can't help but listen to it and have a smile on your face by the end of it. But while those words may make for a good song, the view of life they present are, well, a circle. There's no straight lines, no beginnings, no dead ends, no meaning to life except what you assign to it. You're just kind of along for the ride as things go round and round. There's another song, a song with a different sort of tone and a different view of life. It's called, The Man Comes Round. 
there's a man coming around taking names. He decides who to free and who to blame. We all won't be treated just the same. There'll be a golden ladder hanging down when the man comes around. Those are the words of the immortal Johnny Cash. Now, I'm no musician. I can't tell you exactly why that's been such a well-received song. But I can tell you one of the primary reasons why. Because it resonates with the truth that each of us know down deep in our souls. Life's not a circle. We're not just going round and round with no aim. Life's a journey headed towards a meeting. A meeting that none of us can avoid. Say it another way. Judgment day is coming. The question is, will you be ready? Our sermon series is entitled, Surprising Words of Jesus to His Disciples. And in our day and age, this may seem like the most surprising ones yet. A master beating his servants, cutting them to pieces. Judgment day, the Son of Man returning at an hour we don't expect. And yet, if we've been careful students of our Bible, this should come as no surprise. The idea that God will bring judgment, and indeed a final judgment, is woven throughout the Scriptures. We go back to the Old Testament, and in Isaiah and the other prophets, you have the great and terrible day of the Lord. It will be darkness and not light on that day. As we come to the New Testament, this theme is fleshed out through Jesus' teachings and passages like the one before us this morning. We learn of the separation between the sheep and the goats. That Jesus himself will be the judge. And that we will give account for every single word we've uttered, careless or not. Runs through the letters in the New Testament. And finally, it ends in the book of Revelation. Where we see clearly the judgment day is coming. It only takes one verse to sum this up. Revelation 22.12. This is on the lips of Jesus. He says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. This has been the teaching of the church throughout the ages that Jesus is coming back second time in judgment. Every time we affirm together the Apostles' Creed, we say that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Judgment day is coming. The question is, will we be ready? In our passage this morning, Jesus continues his teaching to his disciples about what it means to be a disciple in his kingdom. If you've been following along with our series this summer, there's been a thread running through each of the passages that unites them. Thread of eternity. The beginning of chapter 12, he spoke of hypocrisy and how foolish it is to be two-faced about things when one day everything will be revealed, even the inner thoughts and motivations. Then he talked about persecution, how we may be tempted to shy away from affirming our belief in Christ, but that that's foolish because while people might be able to harm our physical bodies, one day we'll stand before a God that can do much more than that. Then he turned his attention to money. How foolish it would be to store up 
money for ourselves as if that is the security that we needed, when in fact we should be rich towards God and all of our things can be taken in a moment. And then last week, Pastor Panner preached on anxiety, how we shouldn't be trying to store up for ourselves treasures on earth or be anxious about them because we have eternal treasures in heaven. Well, that thread that's running through each of these passages now comes to its termination point, brings us to the very threshold of eternity itself. Judgment day is coming. Let's listen to Jesus and see how we can be ready. Our passage this morning is made up of three parables that are broken up into two sections. The first section is 35 through 40. That's the first two parables. And then 41 through 48, the longer final parable. And as we look at them, we're going to see that Jesus tells us how we are to be ready for his second coming and for judgment day. First, let's turn our attention to 35 through 40. Here we'll see that we need to be ready by being alert. Now, there are a group of people in our society that take the Boy Scouts motto of always being prepared to another level. They are those who have made a a goal of theirs to be ready for the worst of the worst case scenarios, to survive even the collapse of society. Uh, They go by the self, uh, they self-identify with the the name uh, preppers, as in those who are being prepared. And they do things like store up imperishable goods, uh, build secure dwelling structures like bunkers and and things like that. And uh, they train themselves in survival skills so they can farm and and do things if society were to one day just go away. Now, I'll, I'll leave to you to decide the wisdom of those sorts of actions. But I found it interesting when reading a little bit about this, how often preppers speak about being alert. The logic is pretty simple. It does you no good to have the most secure bunker or all the canned goods in the world if you're caught unaware when the calamity hits and you never make it inside to safety. Now, this is the theme of Jesus' first two parables in 35 through 40, that we need to be alert. He tells two parables, one positive, one negative, with the same idea, an admonition for us to be alert. The positive parable is of a master who's out late at a wedding feast. Wedding feasts at the, in the ancient East could have gone on for days, and this particular one stretches on into the night. The question is, are his servants going to be ready for him when he comes back? Even if that's midnight, one, two, three in the morning. Jesus uses two different images to tell us that these servants are ready. He says that their lamps are burning and that they are dressed for action. The lamps are burning is a way of saying they're ready when the master arrives with a light, even in the middle of the night, so that the master can be about his business, moving about the house with no issue. Being dressed for action is a way of saying that they've got their work boots on. Their sleeves are rolled up. They're not drowsy. They're not lazy. They're eagerly awaiting the master's return. Then we get this beautiful description of how the master is so overjoyed at finding them ready to let him in at the first knock that he actually puts on his work boots himself, rolls up his sleeves, sits them down at the dinner table, and serves them. It's a shocking image of someone from the ancient East. A master serving a slave at table. 
Through it, Jesus is showing us the great joy at being found alert when the Son of Man returns. But that's not the only image we get in these two parables. The second one is more negative. This time, the occasion is a burglary. It says that a homeowner would not have left his home alone if he knew when the thief was going to break in and steal all his stuff. I've had the misfortune of having not one, but two bikes stolen out of garages over my uh, years on this earth. And, uh, you know, there's a very natural sort of reaction that you have when someone burgles you. You think, man, if I had only been there, if I had been right there watching, I could have stopped this. I, I could have run up and said, hey, stop, that's my bike. Or I could have socked him upside the head. You know, you, you think these sorts of things. It's natural. But that's the nature of burglaries, aren't they? You can't prepare for them because you don't see them coming. Jesus' point in these parables comes at the end in verse 40. He tells us that the Son of Man will come at an hour you will not expect. You won't see it coming. Now, there have been some believers that have taken this admonition to alertness, but have missed this last verse, verse 40, and have run off into dangerous ground. Um, People have engaged in things called date-setting, Imagining that they can somehow nail down the exact day or even the week or the month that Jesus is coming back. One of the most well-known examples is called the Great Disappointment. In 1844, a preacher named William Miller, through some convoluted prophecies in the Bible, believed he had nailed down exactly when Jesus is coming back. People bought into his teaching and they started following him. Some of them selling their houses, their businesses, started living it up, enjoying it until the day was supposed to come in October of 1844. Now, as the name of the event implies, it didn't go well for them. Jesus tells us, you're not going to see it coming. This isn't a call to date setting. What it is a call towards, though, is a state of constant spiritual alertness. Jesus wants our hearts and our minds To be so directed that we say to ourselves, Jesus could come back anytime now, so I need to be ready. What does it actually mean to be in a state of spiritual alertness? What could you actually do to keep yourself in this state of alertness? Well, I think if we're honest, many of us, if we do a little soul accounting, would say that Maybe we've started to become a little drowsy waiting for the master's return. It's been 2,000 years after all. Life's busy. It seems like the type of thing to worry about at a later time in life when I'm less busy and I've got more time or maybe even for a future generation to worry about. We go through life as if it's going to keep going on like this, round and round, as if it's a circle. Yet Jesus wants to remind us, you won't see his return coming. So what do we do to foster this sort of heart and mind? Well, I think this is a call towards Christian contemplation of the second coming of Christ. Do you ever think about the fact that this world is going to end? That Jesus will return on the clouds of heaven? Do you ever think about 
how the joy that you've experienced in salvation, a clear moment where you are assured of your salvation, that even that is just a small taste of what it will be like to have the master serving you when he returns. This is a call for us to bathe ourselves in the scriptures that talk about what it will be like as Jesus returns. If you haven't done it already, make a list of those verses you read through the Bible. Memorize them. Think about them. Learn to pray with Christians throughout all ages that are praying for the return of Jesus. Say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Sometimes people are worried that as they do this sort of contemplative looking forward to the return of Jesus, that they might become too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. I love the way Dr. D.A. Carson responded to that. He said, if there is such thing as someone who's too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good, I've never met them. (laughs) That uh, actually, as we bathe ourselves in this truth and we look forward to the glory, that it changes us. That we're more joyful now. That we're more likely to be obedient And as we're going to see in the next section, it'll actually lead us to being more faithful. Brothers and sisters, judgment day is coming. Wake up. Be ready. Be alert. But it's not all just about our hearts and our minds contemplating this future reality. It's no good if it doesn't translate into the way we actually act. And this brings us to our third parable, our second section in verses 41 through 48. We're told in the first section to be ready by being alert. In the second section, Jesus tells us, be ready by being faithful. Now, this section starts off with a question from Peter. He asks, Jesus, are you telling this to everyone or just to us, your disciples? Remember, this is a, a mixed group Jesus has been teaching to. It's a natural question when Jesus teaches on something like the second coming and the judgment to come. And in what can only be described as classic Jesus, he jumps right into a parable and doesn't directly answer the question. Um, We'll come back to Peter's question because Jesus does answer it, but it's not a straightforward sort of answer. It's one you've got to pay careful attention to uh, to catch. This parable is longer and more fleshed out than the others and is the most unsettling yet. This time, once again, we have a master-slave relationship But this time we have Jesus describing a master who has left a steward or a slave in charge of his household while he's away on a journey. The master's gone for a period of time and Jesus asks, when the master comes back, what's he going to find and what's he going to do? Now he's entrusted the slaves, the, the steward, with caring for the other servants, for giving them food at the proper time, making sure that his affairs are in order. And Jesus gives us four categories of what could happen. First category, the master comes back and the slave has been faithful. He's done his duties the way that the master is expected. And Jesus says that the, this slave is blessed. That he actually gets a big fat promotion. He gets put over even more possessions. Second parable, uh, the second category does not go as well. This slave knows what he's supposed to do. But the master's delay, he interprets as a license to live for himself. He starts eating all the best food, he starts getting drunk, and he starts getting violent to the other slaves. When the master comes back, he's incensed. 
He has the slave executed. It says literally has him cut to pieces. And then mixing metaphors, it says it tosses him out with the unfaithful. The last two scenarios are less extreme, but no less unsettling. There's a slave who knows what he's supposed to do. He understands the instructions and his responsibilities, doesn't do them. And when the master comes, he gets what's called a severe beating. Final category is a slave who doesn't quite understand what he's supposed to do, doesn't get what the instructions are, but the end result's the same. He still doesn't do the master's will, and as a result, he gets a less severe beating. Surprising words from Jesus, no doubt. What are we to do with this? Well, I think we need to remember a few things to properly interpret this parable. First, we need to remember the nature of master-slave relationships in the ancient East. Uh, Being Americans that we are, when we hear of slavery and uh, master-slave relationships, we immediately think of uh, slavery that went on in our own country, the American chattel slavery that was racial in nature and dehumanizing. This is not the type of slavery that was present in Jesus' day in the ancient world. It was uh, mainly an economic institution. There were slaves that rose to very high ranks in society that had incredible skills, skills of administration, very specific skills that they would have been known for. It would not be unheard of for a master to leave a slave in charge of a very big task, maybe an entire estate, and to expect this slave to be about his business, including using his resources well. But for all these qualifications, it was still a master-slave relationship. The master owned the slave The slave was not free to do what he wished with the master's time and resources. And if the master was displeased with the slave, a beating or even an execution was not unheard of. Now that may seem unpalatable to us, but it's important to remember a second thing. Jesus is here not giving us a prescription of how we are to deal with each other. He's telling a parable. Parables are stories Stories that use real-life contemporary events, uh, real-life scenarios that you could imagine to be true, to get across an uncomfortable truth that we would otherwise be resistant to. In this case, the truth that Jesus is driving at is an uncomfortable one indeed. It's that judgment day is coming. It's going to be fair. So you've got to be faithful. A lot of us would rather not think about the fact that on Judgment Day, God will actually examine every action in our lives. Jesus tells us Judgment Day is going to be fair. This leads to Peter's question again. Okay, Judgment Day is going to be fair, but fair for who? Who is this about? Now, some have interpreted this passage to be narrowly focused on only those in spiritual authority. So, teachers within the church, preachers, uh, Sunday school teachers, deacons, people like that that hold offices within the church. It's, uh, the, they get that by seeing the authority given to the steward, and they kind of draw lines from that to the situation of God's community. Now, while I do think that this is a very legitimate application, as verse 48 shows us, that as our responsibility increases, uh, that as our gifting increases, our responsibility increases. 
It's taught elsewhere in Scripture this way, in James 3. We're taught not to pursue teaching offices lightly because with them comes greater scrutiny from God. Yet, even acknowledging that this is a very real theme in this parable, I think we would be remiss if we did not notice that it is more universal than that. God gifts all of us to some degree or another. He gives us personalities, educations, church homes. God knows what it means to be faithful with the particular gifts he's given each of us. The question is, what are we doing with them? This is meant to be an unsettling question. To be one that gives us pause and shocks us into taking account of our souls. Now, there's a danger here that you might take this admonition from Jesus and you might run with it and say, well, is this teaching some sort of salvation by works? If I'm faithful enough on that day, the master comes home and he gives me a reward, that means I can earn my way into God's family or into heaven. Now, it is true that believers, all of us, will go through a judgment. 1 Corinthians 3 clearly talks about this and how all of our works will be examined to determine their genuineness. But the emphasis here is not so much on that believer's judgment, although it is true and it is present. It's more a warning against those who imagine themselves to be faithful disciples when, in fact, they don't even know the Master. Jesus is saying, true disciples are faithful. It's definitional to who they are. This is the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. And his word to each of us this morning is, we need to take heed and make sure we are faithful. It would be a mistake to take this parable and look at the different categories and say, well, uh, maybe I can move myself from a severe beating to a slightly less severe beating if I clean up a little bit here. Jesus' point is you need to be faithful because judgment day is going to be fair. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus came back today, whose agenda would he find you following? What's he given you? What's he entrusted you with? What neighbors has he put next to you? What business has he given you? Who has he put in your family? What spiritual mentors has he given to speak truth into your life? What biblical teaching and light has he provided for you? How have you been using his resources? God knows what it means to be faithful. Judgment day is going to be fair. Hear Jesus' words. If you want to be ready, you've got to be faithful. How do you do it? Well, if this has ever been a call to discipleship, if there's ever been a call to discipleship, this is it. Uh, This is a call to take seriously your walk with Jesus. If there's a sin that he's been convicting you of, you've been resisting, putting away. If there's an evangelistic relationship that you know you should start up, but you've been hesitant to at work. This is a call to be about your master's business today. You won't see judgment day coming. 
But it's also a call to remember that when the master returns, there will be great joy for those who are truly his. The picture is stark of the master beating the slaves or executing those who are unfaithful. But it's equally joyous to think glory is coming, a promotion. Jesus promises those who have been faithful with what he's given will be actually given even more. The gospel teaches us that God, God has done all that's necessary to save us. And though we have salvation now, that the fullness of that salvation won't be experienced until the day Jesus returns. And the promise is that we will actually reign with him. Brothers and sisters, be about the master's business. Judgment day is coming, but you can have joy now and on that day as you faithfully undertake what he's given you. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your master, maybe someone invited you to church or you just came on your own. First off, I'm so glad you're here. It may seem strange to you that we would spend so much time talking about judgment and God's accounting in our lives. But I want you to think about a question, if you'll humor me. On the final day, if life really is a journey heading towards a meeting where all of us will stand before God to give an account, what will God say about your life? Whose standard is he going to use? You may have a creed or a set of virtues that you have tried to live your life by, and I'm thankful for any good that it has produced in your life. But ultimately, you have to ask, whose rules matter? The Bible teaches that God made us. Since he made us, he gets to set the rules. That his standards are perfection. Now, none of us in this room have ever lived up to those standards. We as Christians don't believe that God accepts us into his service because we're good enough. We believe we were such unruly servants that we were were so uh, deserving of a beating and much worse that the Son of God, Jesus, actually entered into the Master's household himself. That he came down to live the life of obedience we should have lived and that he died on a, um, a criminal's cross the way we deserve to die. That in doing this, Jesus let himself be cut to pieces, took the beating we deserved, so that the wrath of God could be turned away from those who put their trust in him. We believe he's coming back a second time. That at his second coming, we will find this joy to be ours because we know that God's wrath has been turned away. And the glory that Christ now has in heaven, he promises to us. If you don't know that message, if you don't know that story as your own, at the end of the service, I'll be down front. I'd love to talk with you. Uh, You may have questions or objections you want to bring up. Um, I'd love to have that conversation. But don't push the thought out of your head. How will God react to me on that final day? Surprising words from Jesus indeed. Be ready for judgment day. Be ready by being alert. Be ready by being faithful. At the beginning, I read the words from the Johnny Cash song, When the Man Comes Around. Fascinating guy Johnny Cash was. 
Um, in his biography by Robert Hilburn, you read of this mixed life that he lived. Um, he was very publicly into drugs and all sorts of other vices throughout his career. Um, even the whole while, while reading his Bible every day and firmly believing he was a Christian. Now, towards the end of his life, as his health began to fail, he started to do some soul accounting. He started to ask, how will I be received on Judgment Day? He got clean, and he started taking his discipleship more seriously than ever. As his life started winding down, his biographer writes that he became haunted by one song that he wanted to write. The song that one day became, The Man Comes Round. He saw this as his final act of obedience. That Jesus had given him all these gifts and talents, and maybe up till now he's wasted them, but if he could do one thing for the master, this was going to be it. After the song was written, he went to record it, and at this point his health had declined so much, he couldn't even sustain a singing voice long enough for them to get a recording. So they recorded it phrase by phrase and spliced the whole thing together. After the song was recorded, it's like a weight was lifted off his shoulders. He had a very honest conversation with Robert Hilburn, and he said this. He said, I needed help, talking about writing the song, to make the last record. I'm not talking about Rick and the others. I called upon Jesus. He stood with me. I could never praise him enough for all his blessings. But I tried to praise him with the man comes around. If someone's still listening to my music 50 years from now, if someone's listening at all, I hope they listen to this. This was a man, not a perfect man, but a man who saw himself as a servant of the master. Caught a vision that the man's going to come around. Judgment day is coming. And he wanted to be ready. The question is, will you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess that these are unsettling words that you have spoken. The thought of having all of our thoughts and actions laid bare before you is one that should be sobering to us. This morning we repent of being not about your business, but about our own. Would you fill our hearts now with joy? Remind us of the secure salvation we have in you. Would you make us into disciples that are both alert and faithful till the day you come? We pray now, come Lord Jesus. Amen.